I don't know when you're going to watch this, but if you're watching it live at least, good morning to you. We have now for 23 weeks been teaching off campus, if you will, trying to work through various areas of biblical study while we're under the coronavirus quarantine. And that's where we are today. And so I want you to join me. Now, for the last almost 20 weeks or so, we have been on the road to Emmaus, talking about how Jesus is found through many of the stories and prophetic words and and examples and teachings of the Old Testament. Um, If you want to see that series, they're all on YouTube. They're all on our biblical literacy website. You can find them in a lot of different places. Urge you to go and and enjoy hearing some of these Old Testament uh, um, images about Jesus. But for us today, that class is in the rearview mirror. We're moving on down the road and we're moving toward a new series that I hope to start in two weeks. And that new series is on the law. Law in the Hebrew sense of Torah, but even beyond simply the Torah law. The whole concept of law. Law is a word that lies at the root of so much that is biblical. Law that helps us understand who God is and who we're made to be. Law that gives meaning to other biblical terms like justice or justify or righteous. And so that's coming in two weeks. I want you to get ready for it. I want you to be praying about it for me because I'm really thrilled to be able to teach that. But that gives me two weeks where we've got a little bit of a respite from where we were to where we're going. And in keeping with the journey motif, we're pulling in for a light lunch. But boy, I hope it's going to be a good lunch before we get back on that road again. Last month, July 17th, I believe was the day. A gentleman passed away. His name is James Ennell Packer, but I think most people know him as J.I. Packer. And he was born in 1926, and he lived until 2020, a ripe age of 94. And he wrote a book. Here is a recent printing of this book, Knowing God. This book originally came out in 1973. I read the book in the 70s. A second edition came out in 1993. By then, it had already sold over a million copies and into 12 different languages. Actually, over 12. And I read that book, and I got to tell you, that book was a game changer for me. That book took me from playing checkers to playing chess. And I want to tell you why. 
And I hope you'll listen to the end of this, because if you do, we have a, a marvelous opportunity for you to tell you about. But in that process of trying to organize a, a class to teach this morning, what I've done is decided to look at this in three different respects. First, knowing God, I'd like to just get some perspective on what that means. Why is that important? Why do we care? And then after we get a perspective on that, I want to get very practical and talk about how we can know God better. And then before we're done, the third thing I want to do is talk about the payoff. Now, true confessions. I originally had as my third point the result. But I was looking at it and I thought, man, I am two-thirds of the way toward having really good alliteration with three Ps. What can I find to make that third one a P? And I spent uh, way too much time looking in thesauruses and on the computer website synonym.com. And I couldn't find anything that was really the way I wanted results. All I could get was payoff. But payoff can have a negative connotation. I don't mean it as a negative connotation. I'm just throwing it out there because it's a P. If you don't care about alliteration, put results on there and we'll be fine. Let's start with perspective. Think about a sporting event. I think a lot of people were athletic uh, in college or in high school. A lot of people played basketball. A lot of people played uh, tennis, ran track, football, baseball, soccer. Lots of, of, of sports endeavors. I was a sportsman too. I played that really vigorous sport called chess. And that, that's, I, I did play basketball too, but chess was like my game, okay? And so I'm going to use chess as our illustration here. There are watchers and there are players in any sport. You can watch someone play chess, and you may even know how the pieces move. And you might be able to say, oh, that move is called castling on the king's side. Or you might just say, ah, oh, yes, he's moving a pawn, or she's moving her bishop, or something. But there's a difference between someone who watches and someone who does. I've watched chess games. The first ones I can remember watching were when I was really young. And Bobby Fischer took on the entire chess world of Russia and crushed Boris Spassky in the world championship. Huge moment. And I remember watching those games, trying to understand what the strategy was and how it was unfolding. And I enjoyed it. But then later in my life, I started playing chess in tournaments. I played professional chess, played for money. And in the process of playing professional chess, there is a big difference between being the person sitting in that seat, moving the pawns and deciding what to play, and someone who's merely kibitzing or watching on the side. 
we can talk about knowing God. But in the same way, there is a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. It's the difference between watching and doing. And I want to know God. I don't want to simply know about God. Now, I think you want to, too. And if you don't, let me get you interested. I've pulled some scriptures up about the importance of knowing God. And I want to put some of them out there for you and let you look at them and see what you think about these passages, okay? So let's just grab a couple of them here. Here's one out of the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. All right. Jeremiah says the following, and this is on the importance of knowing God. Jeremiah says, Thus says the Lord, Adonai, Hashem, Yahweh, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Oh, I know a lot. I'm very wise. I've I've learned the mysteries of life. I know the ways of the world. Don't let the wise man boast in his wisdom. Don't let the mighty man boast in his might. Oh, I'm strong. I can do these things. Look at me. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. I can buy that. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and he knows me. You see that? If you want to boast on something, boast that you know God, that he knows me. Wow. All right, let's take it a step further. Look at what Paul had to say when he was writing to the Philippians. In fact, I'm going to save that one for later. Hold that thought. Let's go instead to John 17. John 17, verse 3, for the importance of knowing God. Here we are. This is eternal life. I mean, that's, that's pretty good. That's, that's, that's a brownie worth buying. This is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Knowing God, knowing Jesus is eternal life. This is something that everybody should want. So let's talk about it for a moment. And here's what I'd like to do. I want to talk about, oops, here we are. I want to talk about the word know. It's yada in Hebrew. Uh, You read it right to left, yada. Yod resh ayin, yada. Yada in Hebrew is translated typically know. In Greek, the verb is gnosko, which is typically translated no, but any time 
you're translating from an ancient language into a modern one. You've got some work cut out for you. Let me give you an example. Biblical Hebrew has probably around 6,000 basic words. If you're counting names, it may get up to 8,000, and it depends on how you're counting and all, but 6,000 is the basic vocabulary. The average adult in the United States of America has an English vocabulary of 20 to 25,000 words. And a working vocabulary, though we don't use it on a daily basis, but where we can say, yeah, I kind of know what that means, of 60,000 words. That means that we've got 10 English words for every Hebrew word. And not surprisingly then, those Hebrew words don't just have one meaning. And the Hebrew word yada means knowledge of. We can say uh, it's information about. But it means more than that. It's got a wide semantic range of meaning. And if we just think that when we read the word no, all we're dealing with is knowledge or information about something, then we're going to miss many of the passages of Scripture. The translators recognize that. So they don't always translate yada, you know, or, or no. They translate it sometimes differently because that word yada means not only you know uh, to, to have information about or knowledge about, but it also means to grasp the significance of something. Even beyond that, it carries the meaning of an intimate relationship or a union with an idea or a person. And that's true not only for the Hebrew yada, that's true for the Greek word gnosko as well. It carries that same swath of meaning. Let me give you two passages to help you see this. First, yada from the book of Genesis. In chapter 4, verse 1, you have this statement. Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Adam knew Eve? I mean, if, if that means only intellectual knowledge then all of our sex education textbooks have to be rewritten. But if we understand it's this idea of a deep intimacy, of a relational knowledge, of grasping the significance of, of a union between people or ideas or whatever, then we begin to understand the depth and breadth of that word. Adam knew he had a union, an intimacy, a deep relationship with Eve. And out of that flowed Cain. Now, look at the Greek word gnosko, and let me give you a passage for that. 
And this passage comes from Matthew, the first chapter, the 25th verse. Now, God has just told Joseph that Mary, who he's kind of engaged to be married to, they didn't do things the way we do them now, but she was uh, his bride-to-be. The wedding had not happened yet, but it was a contractual relationship already. And, and Joseph has just been told that Mary's pregnant with the Christ child. And of course, his immediate thought is that there, you know, this is, is something that he needs to put to bed. And so, in the process of that, Joseph's told, no, 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 this is from the Holy Spirit. And so you take her as your wife. She hasn't known a man. This is a a virgin birth. And you get this passage. Joseph knew her, Mary, not until she had given birth to a son and called his name Jesus. Now, can you be any clearer that that gnosko word for know doesn't mean simply a head knowledge? He was contracted to be married to her. He certainly knew who she was. But he didn't have any union with her. He didn't have that intimacy. He didn't have that deep relationship with her until after she'd given birth to Jesus. That's this key of this idea of no. So when we look at this idea of no, think about it not only as knowledge or information, but grasping the significance of something, of being in a union or an intimate relationship with something. And then you can see things like Passages like not only what we've already seen, that this is eternal life, that they know you. Not just, oh, intellectually I know about Jesus. No. That they have a relationship with God. You know, Jesus recognized that there would be a lot of people that claim to know him. A lot of people that do what he says. A lot of people who follow his rules. And in Matthew 7, he has something interesting to say about it. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Now let me say to you, the will of God, Jesus made abundantly clear, is that you know him. The will of God, what you boast in, is not your wisdom, it's not your might, it's not your riches, it's knowing God. God revealed himself on Sinai through the law and other things so people would know him. God put his words in the mouths of the prophets so people would know him. God ensured scripture as revelation So people would know him. God came to earth incarnate in Jesus. So people would know him. The one who's entering the kingdom of heaven is the one who knows him. On that day, many will say, but Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? We preached the words of Jesus. Even put three syllables in it. Jesus. We preached it. 
Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do many mighty works? I'm doing this in the name of Jesus. And Jesus will declare, I didn't have a deep relationship with you. We weren't in relationship. Depart from me. Workers of lawlessness, because the law really in its truest, ultimate, pure sense is an expression of the character of God. You, If you're not in sync with God, and we'll talk about this in two weeks when we start talking about the law, But if you're not in a deep relationship with God, you're lawless by nature. You might have rules, but you don't have that expression of the character of God. Knowing God. You know, there was another time where some Sadducees came up to Jesus Now, Sadducees were a Jewish sect at the time of Jesus that did not believe there was a resurrection. They only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament. They disregarded the rest of it as being truly prophetic revelation of God. And from those five books, they did not think you could establish a resurrection from the dead, so they didn't believe in one. And Jesus not only taught a resurrection from the dead, But Jesus explained how it is done justly under the law through his sacrifice. So the Sadducees came up to Jesus and they thought, well, we're going to stump this guy. And they played stump the band, stump the Messiah. Here's what they said. They said, okay, under the law, which they claimed to be really good at knowing because that's all they accepted as the Bible. Under the law, If a fellow dies on his wife, then that fellow's brother, if he's in a position to, is to take the wife. So there was these seven brothers. And one dies, and his widow marries the second brother. Who died, married the third brother. Who died, married the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. And then she dies. If there's this eternal life, Who is she married to in heaven? And here's the reply of Jesus. Jesus answered them. Jesus said, you're wrong. Because you don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. Now, Jesus says, you don't know the scriptures. Of course, he's referencing the fact that they only adhered to five books of the Old Testament. But he's going even beyond. So their intimacy, their knowledge, their union, their relationship wasn't with the whole counsel of God's word. But even more important, they didn't have intimacy with the power of God. See, I can even know the scriptures. I can, know, I can know about the Bible and I can teach about the Bible and not know the power of God. Those are two different kinds of knowledge that are both important. My prayer is not simply to teach the scriptures to you, but to teach the power of God. My desire in my life is not simply to know the Bible, but to know the power of the one who gave the Bible. 
to be in intimacy with God. And so if we're back to the PowerPoint, as watchers and players, watchers watch, I don't want to watch where God is concerned. I want to be involved. I want this to be part of who I am and what I'm doing. You know, I can know about God. Or I can know God. And I want to know Him. I can know about godliness. But still not know God. And I want to know Him. So that's the perspective and the importance of knowing God. And I'll close it off on that section with this passage of Scripture. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, they'll never perish, and no one's going to snatch them out of my hand. Do you see, Jesus says he also knows his sheep. That means he's got intimacy with us. And that's reflected in the way he ends this verse. If you understand what knowledge is, he says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. See, when he's not talking about knowing like, oh, I know those two crayons. That is uh, Pacific Blue and Vivid Violet. There's a difference between knowing them and being intimate, united, union with them. Jesus says, nobody's snatching them from my hand because I'm united. I'm in union. I'm one with them. That's knowing God. So with that as our perspective, let's get practical for a moment. One of my iconic memories of this distinction is one that happened in 1988. Now, George Bush, the first George Bush, was running for president, and he had made Dan Quayle his running mate. And in the process of running for that, Dan Quayle would be the vice president, and the vice president on the Democratic ticket was Texas uh, Senator Lloyd Benson. And the vice presidents had a vice presidential debate. And in that debate, Dan Quayle was asked about whether or not he had enough experience, should anything happen to George Bush, to where he could step in and be president. And, and Dan Quayle said, you know, I've, I've, I've been in the Senate uh, uh, or representatives of the House, and I've been there long and, as long as Jack Kennedy, when he ran for president. So I've got that level of experience. I can do it. I'll be ready on day one, should the need arise. And Lloyd Benson, uh, I mean, this had to be like the crowning moment of his public life, how he came up with this on the spot, not having it scripted and not knowing. Lloyd Benson said this famous line. He said, Senator, I served with Jack Kennedy, President Kennedy. He's calling him by his friendly name, Jack. I served with Jack Kennedy. I knew Jack Kennedy. Jack Kennedy was a friend of mine. Senator, you are no Jack Kennedy. Well, that is a good, iconic illustration of the difference between knowing and being. The difference between an intellectual knowledge 
and an intimacy. And so I want to take that and I want to say what we've talked about is, is nice theory, but I want to move us from theory to practice. This is the practical. This is the how-to. This is how do I go about knowing God? And here, this is a very personal matter. Because it's between you and God for you. For me, it's between me and God. I can't get any more personal than this. And neither can you. This is one of those things where you've got to do some soul searching, where you've got to sit down and ask yourself, am I going to do this? And when you make that decision and you say, you know, I, I can remember growing up as a kid, um, I knew when I was 12 that it was about decision-making time. What was I going to do? Was I going to be simply my parents' kid? Or was I going to make that personal decision myself that I wanted to, to, to relate to God individually? And the church where I grew up, that decision was often made by you going down to the front of the church. I'm talking over a thousand people. And you would get asked to profess your faith in front of everybody. And if you did so, you would then be baptized on the spot. And I'm not talking like sprinkling. I'm not even talking pouring. I'm talking... Greek word, baptizo, down in the water, come back up. That's tough. That's a tough thing to do. It's a tough decision to make. But it's one that I needed to make because I was into this for a personal walk with God and ready to make that commitment. And I remember to this day, as the song was being sung and the opportunity was there, with no one knowing it was going to happen, as everybody stood up to sing, I took that walk and I went down to the front and told them I was ready, that I wanted to proclaim my faith in Jesus and I wanted to be baptized into his body. And I did. And, and it was the start of an incredible journey. And I've learned over the decades since some things that are biblically based that truly make a difference in how we know God. These are just practical points and I want to share them with you. One is the relationship that we have with God is built, by and large, day to day on level ground. It's the... Mundane may not be the right word. But I was talking to my friend, David Fleming, who, who's been senior pastor at our church for years and years and years, my senior pastor, and who's now working with me hand in hand in some other ministry efforts. And we were discussing this and he said, you know, in his mind, a relationship is built, really strong relationships are built just in that day to day, day to day. They get tested and in some ways strengthened, and in some ways 
invigorated through the, the hills and the valleys and of life. But it's that day-to-day-to-day walk. And he's right. And, and, and Paul uses this passage, this illustration to the Corinthians. Paul says that God is transforming us into the image and likeness of his son. It's something that's happening on a, on a transforming basis. It's not overnight. It's something that's gradually happening. And the believer's able to look back and say, you know, I'm not where I was 10 years ago. I'm not where I was three years ago. I'm not where I was five years ago. Thank you, Lord, for this work of redemption you're doing in me. But that's a work that grows out of a relationship with God, a union with God. Let me give you a second practical point. The relationship is built through God's revelation. The picture I've chosen here is a Bible with it propped open and a young lady uh, uh, reading at night with uh, uh, her book. It's just her alone with the Lord and is under the beauty of creation as she explores the Word of God. There are some beautiful Hebrew words that you read over and over in the prophets, especially the prophet Isaiah. Over and over. Something will be said, and then Isaiah will add, Ki pi Adonai de bear. Ki means because. Adonai. Uh, ki pi, pi means mouth. So ki pi, because the mouth, Adonai of the Lord, de bear, has said it. What God has said is extremely important. I don't want to step out of the camera frame, but I got to for a moment. Okay? Okay, I'm back. This is my cell phone. So, if I'm going to be listening to you, because you're going to tell me something so incredibly important, let's make you a real significant person. Let's make you the President of the United States. No, let's make you even more important. Let's make you my wife. If you're going to tell me something near and dear to your heart, real important to me, what do you think? If while I'm listening to you, I'm... Hey, Beck, what's a five-letter word for salty? We don't... We know that's not right. God has entrusted His words... He has secured them, not just through generations, but through millennia for us because his mouth has spoken through his prophets. And we have the words of God to foster a relationship with us, to deepen a relationship with us. I got a buddy, Rick. Rick's been plugged into the word of God this year. He's reading it through. And I get almost every day an email from him of, man, this is transformational. You know, wow, this is really good. You know, and, 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 you know, there are times where I just want to write back and say, yeah, God's got, got away with words. You know, I mean, what do, you, what do you want to say? I mean, it is. Why aren't we plugged into this stuff? We should be. Let me give you another place where this relationship grows. Practical place. It's 
built on and through Jesus. The, the, the revelation of God in Jesus is something I'll really be talking a lot about also when I talk about law. Because what Jesus is, is God in human flesh, walking in this world. You want to see what God would do? Watch Jesus. Want to see how God acts? Watch Jesus. Want to see how God loves? Watch Jesus. Want to see how God forgives? Watch Jesus. Want to see how God ministers? Watch Jesus. Want to see how God challenges? Watch Jesus. Want to see how God rebukes? Watch Jesus. Want to see how God disciplines? Watch Jesus. Want to see how God sacrifices? Watch Jesus. The more we watch and understand Jesus, the more we watch and understand God. But it goes deeper than that because there's a mystical something that happens when you give your life to God through Jesus. Jesus says he will dwell in our hearts through his spirit. That he will be in us as we are in him and as he is in the Father. John 14, 15, 16, 17, especially that prayer in 17, details this. This is the this is the import behind the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, the Passover meal that Jesus put out there. He says, this bread is my body that's broken for you. This cup is my blood that's given for you. Take, eat, drink. That's knowing God. That's union. That's intimacy. That's Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's all that there is in this world. And that's the call that's out there. So the relationship is built in and through Jesus. Let me give you another one. The relationship is built in and through fellowship. I love the image in Revelation that Jesus comes back for his people, but his people are all one bride. And he's the bridegroom. It's that Greek word koinonia that I talked about in my video thoughts for the day a few weeks back. It's a common shared participation that we have that takes all of our diversity but unites us into one body of people called out of this world. And Paul says that to the Ephesians, that there's one church. Ecclesia is the Greek word that's being used there. And it was a common Greek word for an assembly or a group or a meeting. But what Paul is saying is that that the body of Christ, those who are united in Christ, are truly brothers and sisters and in one family and in one group, one fellowship, one unity. And through that fellowship, we enrich each other's walk in knowing God. Not simply knowing about Him, but knowing Him. And this relationship is one that's built in the Holy Spirit as the Spirit indwells within us. And it's built through this personal exercise of faith. 
And by that I mean walking with the Lord. I went through a time in my life where I was not as diligent in my walk with the Lord as I wish I had been. I've been through several of those times. But I will tell you, when I was looking at at my life and I thought, man, my faith is not as strong as it used to be. I don't feel as close to God as I used to feel. I don't, I'm I'm real worried about this. And then I started thinking, and kind of like this voice within me, the Holy Spirit quickened within me and said, yeah, bozo, look at the way you're living. When we walk in faith and in relationship with God and we look to Him for His help, day by day, minute by minute, and we pray without ceasing, we're in constant dialogue with Him, our intimacy will grow. And when we don't, it will shrink. All right, I don't have a lot of time left, but I want to talk about the payoffs. This is really, really important. It's important that we understand what happens when we are in the unity the union, the the intimacy with God that we were created for. When we are in that relationship through Jesus, we have a peace of mind that passes all understanding. True Hebrew peace of shalom, not just the Greek RNA, but, but true Hebrew shalom, a contentment, a satisfaction. Look at the contentment that is there with Jesus. Look at what Paul had, or I mean, knowing Jesus and knowing God. Look at what Paul had to say here in Philippians 3, 8 through 10. He said, I count everything as loss. In other words, there's not one thing that counts on the level of this surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. And by knowing Christ Jesus, he means an intimate, united relationship with Jesus. Compared to that relationship he had with Jesus, his Lord, there's nothing of value. There's nothing of value. For Jesus' sake, Paul says, I suffered the loss of everything. And I just count it as garbage. That I may gain Christ, be found in him, and know him and the power of His resurrection. To know Jesus is to have full contentment, to have full peace. It's worth more than all the money in the world to have a relationship with the divine. is worth more than your car, more than your house, more than your degrees, more than your checking account, or lack thereof, more than your health, more than your security of what's coming tomorrow because you are resting in the hands of the Almighty God and you know things will work out and you know who He is and you know that He will not let anyone snatch you out of His hands and with that comes great joy. With that comes great purpose. A lot of people don't have purpose in life, or it's their purpose is to make more money, or to pay this bill, or to get this health report, or to get this, that, and the other. And it's just kind of a nameless. No. I want to know God better. 
and I want to glorify God more. And that is the purpose in my life. To bring glory to the God I know and love and adore. And that instills in me confidence. Take that apostrophe T off. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I know Him. Now the payoffs, I could go on and on and on. There are so many. But those are at the root. And I love that book because it really was a game changer for me. It kicked my game into a brand new stratosphere. And I thank the Lord for J.I. Packer. And here is your special offer before I pray us out. If you want to write to the foundation, the, the info at LanierFoundation.org, we've got a number of these that the publisher was really gracious in the discount that they offered and, and heaven's Amazon as well. But, but we've got a number of these that we send you just free of charge. There's no, no anything at all other than the fact that we want people to read them. So here's the commitment. If you'll read it, we'll send it to you, period. Just shoot us an email and say, I'd like the book Knowing God. And we'll rush it out as quickly as we can. Now, we only have about, I don't know how many, but we've got a certain number. And when we run out, we're going to run out, and I'm sorry. But, but we're, we're over 100 copies, so we ought to be able to send these out. It, the key is, all we ask is that you read it. Then our general website at our church for this is wantmore at biblical-literacy.org. And if you want to email us, we'd love to give you our weekly announcements about class, about what's going on. We'd love to send you our video links for our video thoughts for the day. We'd love to pray for you if there's anything we can pray about. Just send us those things. Get yourself ready for two weeks from now where we've got a new series starting up. Meanwhile, let me bless you. Father, in the name of Jesus, through Jesus, our Lord, we come to you and say, draw our hearts away from our self-consciousness, away from our fears, away from our doubts, away from our worries. Draw us to you into this exciting world and life uh, as your children, as the sheep who are held tightly in your hand. That's our prayer. Amen. Amen.